0: The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, good morning, Ecclesia. Everyone doing okay? Yeah. Who's ready for the summer? Yeah, kind of like, no, not really, not weather. Got plans for the fourth? Yeah. Some of us are traveling. Well, it is uh, great to be here with you all uh, this morning. So this morning, I want to talk about uh, art and what artists might be trying to communicate through their art. Is that cool? So um, a quick thing before we jump in. This morning, I'm going to require a little more audience participation. We up for that? Yeah, we had our breakfast? Caffeinated? We're good? Okay. So why don't we do this? Um, Turn to a neighbor and share a piece of art you're currently enjoying. So it could be a movie, painting, TV show, book, and what you think the artist might be trying to communicate. All right, I'll give you a couple minutes. Go ahead. All right. So what are we thinking? Would anyone like to shout out a piece of art that they're currently enjoying? Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Yeah, I heard that's good. Anybody else? The Van Gogh exhibit. Yeah. I've seen it. It's good kind of intense. Yeah. His life is kind of intense. Anybody else? Max Richter. Yeah. He's a beautiful musician. Composer. Kid. He's got an eight-hour soundtrack called Sleep. I think so. Yeah. Anybody else? Oh, you were chatty a second ago, but now, Okay. (laughs) So I was thinking through this, and one of my favorite artists, he's a Chinese artist activist named Ai Weiwei. Some of you might know of him. And in the 90s, um, he was best known for a piece where he took a 2,000-year-old urn built in the Han dynasty, worth millions of dollars. And in this exhibit, he took the urn, had a photographer shoot it, and he dropped the urn, and it was destroyed. So what do you think he might have been trying to communicate? Any thoughts? It's just a thing? Anybody else? He likes breaking stuff? Okay, good. Anybody else? Everything is temporary. Mm, Good. There's beauty in brokenness. Very good. So what he was trying to do, it was during the Mao regime when the communist government took over. There's a cultural revolution. And what Mao said is, to build a new world, you have to destroy the old one. And so they destroyed centuries and centuries of art. And he's like, you know what that feels like? You know what that feels like? And so he took this urn and he dropped it. Let's try this piece of art. So the artist who made this. So picture yourself, find yourself on that map there. Okay. Let's zoom out once. You've got our solar system and all the planets, and you've got Pluto and, oh, Pluto. <laughs> then you have our solar system within the solar interstellar neighborhood. Then you have our interstellar neighborhood in the Milky Way galaxy. Then you have our Milky Way galaxy in the local galactic group. Then our local galactic group in the Virgo supercluster. Then our Virgo supercluster in local superclusters. And then you have the observable universe. Just take that in. So what do you think the artist who made this, what was this artist trying to communicate? That we're small? Anybody else? Said that or not? God's creation is amazing. Very good. Anybody else? What was that? We're clueless. Yeah. We're clueless and there might be aliens. It's very possible, right? (laughs) Anybody else over here? Yeah, we're we're dropping the ocean, just like a tiny little bit. So what I want to do this morning is this. We're going to look at a psalm, Psalm 8, and it's a poem written by a king. And in this poem, the poet describes God as this renowned artist. And we're just going to ask, what did this artist, what is he trying to communicate to us about ourselves, this world, and God? And so we're going to be in Psalm 8. We're going to have it on the screens. So go ahead, turn to a neighbor, read it aloud, and then we'll walk through it. All right, Psalm 8, go. Let's pick this up in verse 1. So the poet writes, God, brilliant Lord, yours is a household name, like everyone's heard of your name, your artistry. Then he picks a beautiful piece of art. A nursing infant gurgle choruses about you. Toddlers shout the songs that drown out enemy talk. Their noises of being loved are so beautiful that they drown out enemy talk and silence their babble. And so this poet is saying, God, your name, like everyone has heard about. Yours is a household name. Everyone's heard of your artistry, including a baby. So think about your favorite baby, OK? If you need help, here are some of the babies we've dedicated at our church recently. Just pick one. They're all cute. Some of you aren't human baby people, fine. Here's an elephant baby. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, think to yourself, what's the emotion you feel when you see a baby? What do you feel? Okay, just think about it. Just think of it in your head. Okay. Now, when you see a baby, what sound do you make? Right? Some of you are like, "Aww." And some of you are like, oh, baby, I need that little, fat, little, chubby baby, like a little much sometimes. (laughs) So on the count of three, I want you to make the sound you make when you see a baby. Ready? One, two, three. (laughs) So that sound, that sound, how does it make you feel to think that maybe when God sees you... That's the emotion he has, and that's the sound he makes. Yeah? You like that? So Jesus in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I used to think that meant, oh, I need to do more. I need to be more perfect, be more moral, strive more, learn more things. I actually think it's probably the opposite. That when a baby is born, that baby's pure in heart, hasn't learned to strive, hasn't learned to perform, hasn't learned to act, hasn't learned to earn. And as a baby, just as they are receiving God's love, pure in heart, perhaps they see God. So let's ask this question. When was a time recently that you felt unlovable? So think of a specific time. Think of the person. Think of what they said to you, how it made you feel, OK? You got that? So what if in that moment it had nothing to do with your lovability? Nothing. And everything to do with that person's limit, perhaps they just didn't have love to give, but it had nothing to do with your lovability. Um, so at the risk of perpetuating stereotypes, um, I like fried rice. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing. So recently, our staff, uh, one of our staff turned 40. We were like, hey, what do you want to do? He's like, I want to go to Houston. I want to go to museums. And we're going to eat good food. So we went to the museum, saw the Van Gogh exhibit. And then for dinner, we had Vietnamese crawfish. Anybody? Okay. If you haven't had it, imagine crawfish, already delicious. Imagine Vietnamese food, even more delicious. Combine them, and all of your dreams come true. (laughs) So we're sitting there, and they ordered a few pounds of crawfish. Uh, I did not. Um, I don't have a crawfish off switch. Like some people don't have a whiskey off switch. I don't have a crawfish off switch. So they ordered their pounds of crawfish. then I'm looking through the menu, and then I see Vietnamese crawfish fried rice. And I think, "There is a God." <laughs> so my dish comes, and I uh, steal a couple pieces of their fresh crawfish and peel it onto my dish. I take a spoon, take a spoonful of like the garlic Vietnamese sauce and put it on my fried rice. That dish. I've thought about every day for the last two months. Like, I wake up, and I think about this dish. So when I was in third grade, I also liked fried rice. And one night, we were having dinner, we had fried rice. And my mother goes, um, Gideon, we have leftovers. Would you like me to pack fried rice for lunch for you tomorrow? And I thought, Mom, am I your firstborn son? Absolutely. So she put it in the thermos. She says, it's going to be hot. I'm like, oh, I'm so excited. So I went to sleep, woke up the next morning, and I'm like, I'm going to get fried rice. I'm going to get fried rice. So we went to school. We went to a small Christian school. My sister and I, we were the only Asian kids in the entire school. First period came. Second period came. I'm getting more and more excited. The lunch bell goes off. It was such a small school, there's no lunchroom. You just have your backpacks against the wall, and then you grab your lunch, and then you sit back at your desk. So the lunch bell goes off, and I'm like, it's time! I run to the backpack, unzip it, grab my thermos, run back to my desk, open the first lid. And then there's the second lid that lets out the steam and the aroma of the fried rice. And I remember, ps and it opens. That aroma hits my nose, and it was so glorious. And then in that exact same moment, a kid beside me goes, ew, what's that smell? And I go, fried rice? And he goes, what? Fried lice? And then the whole class starts chanting, fried lice, fried lice, fried lice. (laughs) To this day, I can't remember a moment of pure joy to devastation in an instant. I remember sitting there eating my fried rice, salted by my tears, just like "Mm." (laughs) And I remember that day, you know what I thought? I went home and I thought, oh, something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with my culture. Something's wrong with my food. As a 10-year-old, that's what I thought. As an adult 35 years later, I look back and oh, there was nothing wrong with me. There was nothing wrong with my food. Nothing wrong with my culture. In that moment, The kid was just limited. He didn't have love to give. And you know what this poem is saying? This poem is saying that the sound of being loved, like a baby, the sound of being loved can drown out the unloving sounds in our lives. That the sound of being loved, like a baby, that pure joy, can drown out the unloving sounds and voices in our lives. And so, Ekklesia, this morning, what might be those voices? Who might be those voices? Maybe it's a bad manager. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a frenemy. Maybe it's your mom's voice, your dad's voice, somehow turned into your own voice. And so maybe this week, this can be a spiritual practice. So think of something you're not good at. Okay, something you're like, ah, like, if I could just. Or like the mistake that you keep making that floods you with shame, you're like, ah. think of something specific you're not good at. You got it? What are babies not good at? Everything. (laughs) Like, literally, babies are not good at everything, yet utterly and completely loved. And in those moments, remember the sound of a baby. And remember that we're not loved for what we're good at or not good at. We're simply loved because you're lovable. Let's keep going here. Verse 3. It says, I look up at your macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky jewelry, moon and stars mounted in their settings. Just imagine God like an artist designing it. There's going to be this star. It's going to explode billions and billions and billions of years later. It's going to look like jewelry, right? And then the moon and the planets and the mountains and the oceans, just the splendor of God's artistry. And then this poet says, then I look at my micro self and wonder, what? Why do you bother with us?" Why take a second look our way? Why, like seriously? He's saying, look at the beauty of this earth, like the scale, the grandeur, the, the, the enormity of it. It's so gorgeous. Are we really, really that beautiful? Is that even possible? So let's try this. Think of the most beautiful place you've ever been on earth. OK? You got it? On the count of three, I'm going to have you say it out loud. Let's think of the most beautiful place. Ready? One, two, three. OK. Now take a picture of that place. OK? You got the snapshot? Now we're going to blow it up Okay, like a large, large print. We're going to frame it. Now we're going to walk into your house with a giant frame of the most beautiful place you've ever been. You guys follow me? Now pick a wall in your house that's big enough to hang this on. OK? Maybe dining room, bedroom. Pick a wall. OK, now let's, let's hang it. Okay, now let's take a few steps back so we can just absorb just the beauty of this photograph. You guys with me? Take a deep breath. Now put your face in that picture, better or worse. And this poet is like, really, we get to be a part of that? Really, is it even possible? So the ancients before science, they would tell stories and poetry. And they try to capture what God feels about his creation. That's what Genesis 1 is, right? And so it's this poem, and there's this repeated cadence, and there was the first day, and there's this emotion that's communicated time and time again. It's the first day, and God saw that it was good, right? Over and over it was good. So I want us to feel that. Okay? So this is gonna require some participation. We're gonna walk through Genesis one. I'm gonna let you choose, make a choice of what you like, your preference. We're all gonna shout out that preference, and then with some gusto, we're gonna respond like, like a guttural, so good. Okay? So let's try this so good together. Like a, get like, you've seen the most beautiful, like lobster baby mountain. Like, pick something beautiful. Ready? Let's get a guttural so good on the count of three. One, two, three, so good. Okay, good. You guys got this. All right, let's go. So in Genesis 1, it says, God says, let there be light. So sunrise or sunset, shout it out. (laughs) So good. Okay, let's try it again. We got to get the rhythm here. Sunrise or sunset? So good. Favorite body of water? Shout it out. (laughs) So good. Um, Keep going. Favorite fruit? Ready? So good. Favorite constellation of stars? You ready? So good. Favorite bird? (laughs) You ready? So good. Favorite four-legged animal? Ready? So good. Favorite sea animal? Walrus. I heard a lot of walrus. Walrus, so good. (laughs) The picture from the moment you were born. Just picture it. The youngest picture you have of yourself. You ready? On the count of three. So very good. Look around this room. Make eye contact with someone. Seriously, look around this room. Ready? On the count of three. So very good. And this is what this poet is saying. Like, are you serious? Like, look around this room. Is it possible that this room is as beautiful as the most beautiful place we've ever been? We get to be a part of that? Are you kidding me? Let's take it a step further. So I've been in Austin 20 years. And so this spring and early summer is maybe the most beautiful I've seen in this city. And as as I've driven around Houston, I feel the same way. Like in Austin, Barton Creek is raging. It's flowing. There's wildflowers everywhere. Austin feels tropical right now. When I was driving here this morning, the trees were blooming. It kind of felt tropical. So why has Austin and Houston maybe had the most beautiful spring and summer? Why? Because of the rain. Perhaps the thunderstorms, okay. So I want to make a proposal that in nature, thunderstorms can bring healing and beauty. Is that true? Is that true? And what if, is it possible that perhaps our thunderstorms, is it possible that they might also bring healing and beauty? Might that be true? So three Sundays ago, I was sitting there. We'd had our liturgy in the morning. And I got a call from a friend. And I got one of those calls where you have bad days, and then you have bad days. And he was having one of those bad days where his, his life, the bottom of his life, just fell through. So I we went over to his house, a couple of his friends were there, and we just sat with him for the afternoon and just kind of cried with him and sat with him. Then we realized he hadn't eaten in two days. So we dragged him out of the house, and we got him some food that would hug him. So we got him some chicken fried steak, chicken fried chicken, Mashed potatoes, cheese grits, peach cobbler, right? And so the food wanted the food to like hug him a little bit. And then as we were leaving, we were leaving this restaurant called Hoover's, there's a floor to the ceiling glass panes. As we're walking through it, there was a tornado warning that night, and the storm rolls in. And so the skies darken, the trees go sideways, and the heavens open, just poof. So we sat outside under the awning, this little awning. And it was raining too hard, we couldn't walk to the car. So we just stood there and watched. There were some benches on the outside of the restaurant. My buddy just sat down and just started weeping. One of our friends went around and put his arm around him and started crying. I kind of stood on the other bench. My other friend sat next to me. And the four of us just looked at the storm and started weeping. And in that moment, there was this profound sense for us. It felt like the heavens were crying with us. And it was a reminder that we're not alone. And that perhaps, like nature, even our thunderstorms, maybe they can bring healing and beauty too. And so for us, maybe a spiritual practice is think of a thunderstorm you're currently going through. Maybe it's health stuff, family stuff, an unlived dream, a broken relationship. Remember that you're not alone, that every single person in this room has their version of a thunderstorm. We all do. And when you're ready, we're not always ready yet, that's okay. And when you're ready, just ask, how might this thunderstorm be bringing healing and beauty in this moment? Could that be possible? You know, I tell parents, a great thing you can do as a parent, just sit your kids down, not all at once, but just share every thunderstorm you've ever gone through. Just tell your kids about them. Tell them about how hard it was, but you made it. And there's probably stories of healing and beauty in there as well. All right, let's finish up the text here. Verse 5. And so King David says, yet we've narrowly missed being gods. We're sons and daughters of God. We have divine DNA. Bright with Eden's dawn light, you put us in charge of your handcrafted artisan world. And then you repeated to us your Genesis charge. It's good. It's good. Participate in its goodness. Then you made us care for sheep and cattle, even the animals out in the wild birds flying, fish swimming, whales singing in the ocean deeps, ooh, ooh. God, brilliant, Lord. Your name echoes around the world. And this poet is saying, God, your artistry is so beautiful. It's like this collaborative art project that's gone on for centuries and millions of years. And we get to participate with the earth and the animals in bringing forth its goodness. So this psalm is usually used on Trinity Sunday. Isn't that interesting? And I was like, huh, I wonder why. Shall we wonder why together? Shall we? So I'm going to get nerdy here for a second, so just hang tight with me. So human beings are limited, correct? Right? There is more we don't know than we know. So when human beings try to talk about something they don't know, they actually have to talk about something they know to point at the thing they don't know. It's called a metaphor, right? So when things are bigger than us, like love, you can't say, love is. You have to say, love is like, Okay. We can't say, God is. We have to say, God is like. We following? So for centuries, uh, the church would be like, oh, what is God like? Oh, how do we talk about, it? how do we describe God? And they're like, well, it feels like God is just like a person, but it's like m- more than a person, right? Like maybe God's like three, three persons in one, right? That's the best we could do. And for centuries, we call that the? trinity. And I love this metaphor because maybe we sh- it shows us that in God's being, that's how he exists. But even more so, he's showing us this is how we collaborate in the world, participate. So you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and it's the space between them. That's the beauty of the metaphor. And it's trying to show us that God in Himself loves and cares and depends on each other in its being. And maybe it's trying to show us this is how we participate in the world. This is how we step in. We love, we care, and we depend on each other. So maybe it's like this. Um, I have two dogs. Uh, We got our first dog when she was very young. We went on a bike ride and came home with a dog. We've all been there before. And she was you know, super cute, super tiny. Her name was Mochi because she was like a little mochi ball. She went from a really cute, tiny little mochi ball to like a terror of a toddler dog. And we were like, oh, no, we can't have a toddler dog. We already have a toddler human. We barely have enough energy for a toddler human. We need someone else to take care of the toddler dog. So our strategy was we, gonna get, we were going to get an older, calm dog to take care of the toddler dog. <laughs> it's a pretty good plan, right? So my wife started going to the shelter and trying to find like, the right dog with the perfect energy. And then one day she calls me. and She's like, I think I, found, I think I found the perfect dog. She's like, come, come her," And I was like, today I can. I've got a bunch of meetings. Let's meet tomorrow. She's like, OK, fine. So we go the next day, and I pull up. And I see this medium-sized brown dog. She has, like, sad eyes. She has, like, this cute little underbite. And she had the perfect energy. My wife and I made eye contact. We were like, this is the one. So as we give ourselves the thumbs up, a woman walks out of the door with paperwork, puts a leash on her, and walks off. She was getting adopted. So I chased her down. I was like, no, 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 no. So are you adopting the dog? She's like, yeah. I was like, uh. Here's my name and number. If anything changes, just call me. She's like, okay, that's weird. (laughs) So we went home, forgot about it. Two months pass, I get a phone call. And she goes, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I adopted Trixie. I was like, I do. She's like, I just got a new job. I don't have time to take care of her. If you still want to adopt her, she's yours. We're like, we'll take her. So we went, got her, brought her home. We've had her for over 10 years. And she's been the perfect dog. So it worked. She calmed down the crazy toddler dog, right? The crazy toddler dog. Let's play, let's bite things, let's chew on things. And then she would just very gently wrestle her to the ground. Very gently bite her neck and just go shh. She calmed her down. For the last ten years, every day when we come home, she can recognize the sound of our cars or our bike. And she'll meet us at the gate, and she sings. So we step into the gate, and she goes like every day. And maybe the most helpful thing she does uh, is arguably one of the grossest things she does. So if you've ever had a white dog, you need to clean the dog's eyes and ears. And Trixie does that for us. She's like, oh, so stinky yet so delicious, and starts cleaning it. And we're like, oh that's so gross, that's so helpful. Stop it, keep going, stop it, keep going. <laughs> Wanna see a video? <laughs> we should. Yeah, go. You close your eyes, yeah. Where's Where's Oh girl. Oh no, stop, thank you. Oh gross. thank you, right? And so maybe in our family go to the next slide it's like this our family and we have Trixie and we have Mochi <laughs> Maybe in your family it's your mother your sister and you What this poem is saying what this psalm is saying is we have us the earth and the animals And perhaps Ecclesia what this is telling us our way to participate in the world it's Ecclesia our neighbors and our city. And so, Ecclesia, may we, like the Trinity, love, care, and depend on each other and the world around us. May we, like an infant, pure in heart, unlearn the ways we strive and act, and perform, impress in order to be loved, knowing that as we are, for all the things we can't do are utterly and completely loved. And in receiving that love, may we see God. May the sound of being loved drown out the unloving voices in our lives that tell us we're not good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, talented enough, skitty enough, perfect enough. And may we remember the beauty of nature, the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the valleys, the glowing fields that are healed through storms. May it bring forth new life mirroring our beauty, and may we each day continue to collaborate to bring forth the goodness and your divinity that is all around us. And so let me close with a poem from Mary Oliver. This is what she says. I don't know where prayers go or what they do. Do cats pray while they sleep in half asleep in the sun? Does the opossum pray as it crosses the street, the sunflowers, the old black oak growing older every year? I know I can walk through the world along the shore under the trees with my mind filled with things of little importance in full self-attendance, a condition I can't really call being alive. Is a prayer a gift or a petition? Or does it matter? The sunflowers blaze. Maybe that's their way. Maybe the cats are sound asleep. Maybe not. While I was thinking this, I happened to be standing just outside my door with my notebook open, which is the way I begin every morning. Then a wren in the privet began to sing. He was positively drenched in enthusiasm. I don't know why, and yet, why not? I wouldn't persuade you from whatever you believe or whatever you don't, that's your business. But I thought of the wrens singing. What could this be if it isn't a prayer? So I just listened, my pen in the air. And we pray this in the beauty of God, the creativity of Christ, and the collaboration of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.